Welcome to the Biopractica Professional Podcast Series. Biopractica is an Australian-owned, practitioner-only brand focusing on nutritional and herbal products proven to play a role in preventative medicine. Biopractica is committed to supporting healthcare professionals in developing their knowledge and skills so they can confidently and effectively tackle the major health challenges facing their patients today. To support this commitment, the Learning Hub was established by Biopractica to offer practitioners a collection of educational resources so they can stay informed on the latest in health science research. Welcome everyone and thank you for tuning in today. My name is Roberta Barbiolini and I'm the Technical Manager here at Biopractica. Now in today's podcast episode, we'll be looking at the importance of magnesium for blood sugar management. And joining me for this fascinating discussion is Maria Schafflander from Sydney in Australia. Maria is a clinical nutritionist and she works with clients from all over the world, offering both face-to-face and online consultations. She's been in clinical practice since 2013 and specialises in areas like digestive health, immune health, mental health, and the interface between that sort of gut-brain-immune axis. Through her clinical work, Maria has also developed a really passionate, dedicated focus on things like environmental medicine, heavy metal toxicity, and the importance of minerals in helping to support optimal health. She uses a lot of hair mineral analysis with her patients and is really a recognised expert in the clinical utilisation of this assessment tool. So welcome and thank you so much for joining us, Maria. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. That's great. And maybe to start with, can I ask you how you actually became in, became interested in nutrition? What attracted you to this field? Yeah, so it's an interesting transition. Uh, It's a second career for me. I had a career in consumer marketing um, before becoming a nutritionist. And through my own health issues, really, it evolved um, first as an interest, just, you know, reading all the books I could find out there to try and resolve my own gut issues and weight issues. And I just uh, became fascinated by it and, you know, to the point where I was telling everyone who wanted to listen and didn't want to listen about what they should be eating and drinking. (laughs) And um, then after I had my children, I kind of, you know, you go through a bit of a reevaluate your life purpose stage, I think, um, often when you have kids. And uh, it just dawned on me that uh, this is what I want to do. And I enrolled into a course within a week of making that decision um, and just, yeah, went from there, did the full-time course whilst having little kids um, and started practising pretty much immediately after graduating. Yeah, I think that's quite a common story, isn't it, often where people are drawn to this area of of work where you have a personal experience with it and I think having a family tends to make you a lot more focused on the benefits of good nutrition and preventative medicine as well absolutely yeah and it just highlights you know once you go through those pregnancy changes and childbirth changes it highlights a lot of issues that may not have been evident before so yeah it was definitely a a bit of a long road but yeah just discovered that was my true passion in life and can I ask then, Maria, based on um, the work that you do in clinic, what do you specialise in and what are your particular focus areas in clinic and why have you chosen to focus on those particular areas? Yeah, well, like you mentioned, you know, a lot of gut-brain um, health-related things and it's kind of, you know, that sounds like it's quite a narrow focus but that, you know, literally encompasses everything and I think, you know, all naturopaths and nutritionists focus on gut health 
Um, but I think it's kind of viewing it from a point of view of um, that interface, you know, w- what's happening with someone's mood, what's happening with their gut and bringing all of that together, that interrelationship. Um, mental health is a really big focus for me. So pyroluria, anxiety, depression, um, the whole spectrum of mental health really. Um, working a lot with kids also with mental health issues as well. Can I ask, I mean, obviously we're going to talk a little bit about blood sugar management here, but can I ask how um, cardiometabolic health and blood sugar health fits into that that picture of mental health for you? Um, I find that, you know, when people come in with things like anxiety and they present with you know, insomnia and anxiety, which is really common, um, that usually is underpinned by blood sugar imbalances. Mm. So, uh, you know, and what people consider even, you know, with children, things like ADHD, um, a huge percentage of all those conditions is poor blood glucose control. Um, So it's one of the most fundamental things that I work on as a a global influence on the Mm. body is, yeah, to regulate blood sugar for anybody that comes in. It's the most fundamental thing. And can I ask, Maria, then when a patient does come in and let's say they're presenting with anxiety or they're presenting with, you know, insomnia, what's the sort of process you go through to determine what could be driving those particular symptoms in that patient? Well, usually uh, starting with a lifestyle assessment. So, you know, looking at all of their food diary, their lifestyle, uh, going in detail through all their body systems and symptoms and understanding, you know, what's led them to be where they are. Um, I do have a big focus on stress-related issues as well and really understanding, you know, what was someone's childhood experience like, what was their adult experience like, you know, trauma and stress and things like that. Um, And then using um, clinical assessment tools, so like hair mineral analysis and blood tests, you know, when available or ordering blood tests, Um, also looking at their gut um, tests as well. So I quite commonly will order a microbiome um, gut analysis. So I'd like to use functional medicine tests like that to really understand the, the bigger picture. Uh, I'm not a fan of kind of, you know, just giving someone a supplement to see how they go. I really like to have all the facts and I think it's probably my analytical business background (laughs) that comes into it. Um, But I do like a lot of data and a lot of fact gathering to make sure that, you know, we're tailoring things specifically to that person. And I mean, I find personally in clinic that one of the advantages of doing testing like that is that A, it it helps you get to a a better therapeutic outcome, sometimes a bit quicker because you narrow down your your, treatment choices a bit quicker. But also I've often found it helps with patient motivation. Like I don't know if you find Mm -hmm. this, but sometimes when people see the data in front of them, it also motivates them to do the right thing. Absolutely, yeah. And people love seeing their their own data and looking at these different tests that are not just, you know, blood tests, which is what they're used to seeing conventionally, uh, looking at more of the functional testing. And it does really help them motivate. And when they retest, um, you know, hair analysis, for example, in six months' time, and they can see the progress that they've made. So, you know, they usually feel the progress anyway based on symptoms. But when it's on paper and it's visual, they can see, you know, what's changed. Yeah, it's definitely much more motivating, um, better compliance um, and better just, uh, you know, their input into their own progress <laughs> is much better, yeah. And, I mean, maybe we, if we could talk about hair mineral analysis a little bit more because, you know, you do 
use a lot of it in clinic, I understand. And can you maybe mm-hmm. explain for us what you use hair mineral analysis for exactly? Yeah, well, I use it pretty much with every client. There's been very, very few exceptions. Um, pretty much every client that comes in for a whole range of issues. So mental health, 100%, um, thyroid and hormonal health, um, uh, mood issues, uh, suspected heavy metal toxicity, and, you know, just general fatigue. I think we see a lot of, I know when I talk to other practitioners, um, fatigue is a major, major problem that people are presenting with today. And that's a really tricky one to kind of break apart in terms of underlying issues because, you know, there are so many factors that contribute to it. So, yeah, a whole spectrum of things, you know, even immune function, skin health, gut health, all of those things can be picked up looking at the minerals. So you're really using hair mineral analysis as part of a differential diagnosis process to figure out yes. what the underlying drivers might be. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a really good starting point. You know, even before I order bloods, I will usually do a hair analysis because that informs the blood testing um, criteria as well. So, yeah, it's just a really good look at what's happening with the person across the entire spectrum of, you know, thyroid, adrenal health, immune health, mental health, everything. Yeah. And can I ask, are there any particular patterns of of hair mineral analysis results that you commonly see in patients who, say, do present with mental health issues? So usually, well, it's kind of interesting because both blood sugar issues and mental health issues present quite similarly on on the hair, uh, which is, you know, they're so connected. So normally someone would have a high calcium to magnesium ratio, for example. So too much calcium, not enough magnesium, right, which obviously, uh, you know, from a mental health perspective would mean that the person would be very tense probably have joint and muscle um, tension and pain possibly. Um, Sleep is not going to be that great, you know, because magnesium is so important as the the calming and the balancing, softening, (laughs) you know, mineral. Calcium is all about hardening. Um, And usually they will have a high copper to zinc ratio as well. So, you know, zinc is a super important mineral in mental health. So, uh, yeah, that's quite a common scenario, particularly in women. So I'd say women over 35 um, all the way through to, you know, postmenopausal, if they've had some stress in their life and they possibly have some thyroid dysfunction, which is also that high calcium to magnesium ratio is very thyroid, um, that's a super common pattern and that pattern will make them tired, it will make them hypoglycemic and probably quite anxious and depressed. That's a really interesting um, way to frame it. The way you've sort of said, you know, calcium is all about hardening and, you know, magnesium is all about softening. And it's the balance of those two minerals that's often out for a lot of people in the modern world. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the dairy industry has to take a lot of blame <laughs> for that. Um, yeah. You know, calcium, like through milk and dairy, has been shoved down people's throats for a really long time. Um, but it's also about the body's way of regulating those minerals. So I find it's not just with food intake, it's about the body will retain calcium as a protective mechanism. And it's quite interesting the, you know, the learnings behind hair analysis to do with emotions. Uh, that people who have a poor ability to deal with emotions will retain more calcium as a like a protective mechanism for the body to remove itself from others. 
Um, so it's a really interesting emotional pattern. And when you talk to the client about what's been happening in their life, it usually makes 100% sense with what they've been through. That's a really interesting, almost psychosomatic association between, you know, the, the foundational nutrition of the minerals in your body and, as you said, like the, the, the emotional component of how the patient's feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually uh, been quite well documented between, so when they do brain scans uh, on people with, you know, severe depression, so, you know, the really the clinical um, extremes, they mm. find that there's calcification between the right and the left hemispheres of the brain. And, you know, the left is all about logic and language and the right is all about emotions and, you know, artistic abilities and things like that. So people actually retain that calcium in their soft tissues, including the brain, as a way of shutting off and distancing themselves from their emotions to cope with their life. So it's, it's been proven on brain scans. That is really fascinating. And can I ask then from a clinical treatment perspective, what are you using from a prescription base to, to help people who maybe do exhibit this increased calcium to magnesium ratio? Well, definitely magnesium. You know, mm. magnesium in the right dose and the right form for a significant period of time. Um, that's the number one treatment. Also have to look at, you know, all the corresponding fat-soluble minerals, so um, vitamins, I mean. So, you know, vitamin D, vitamin K2. A lot of people are deficient in K2, so their utilisation of calcium is not going to be mm. optimal and usually have an excess of vitamin D in their tissues, so which promotes the retention of calcium. So, yeah, trying to balance it out and get the definitely the magnesium as the key balancer um, and the modulator. So you've mentioned magnesium at the right dose in the right form and for the right length of time. Can I ask you what you think is the right dose, form and duration of treatment for magnesium supplementation? So, look, I mean, as always, it depends. Yeah. Uh, it, de <laughs> it depends on the person. So it depends. I, I find I do use hair analysis as a guide and also their symptoms as a guide in terms of how severe the deficiency is. So, you know, if someone's at that sort of end-stage deficiency, so they're having like muscle cramps and twitches and they can't sit still and they can't sleep, you know, that's, I would call that severe, you know, deficiency signs. Mm. Um, I would probably start them on three or 400 milligrams a day and just increase it slowly to ensure the bowel tolerance is okay. Um, but usually I try and get them up to about 1,000 to 1,200 milligrams a day. Okay, that is quite a substantial dose. Yeah, yeah. Depending on, you know, I like using kind of loading them up, using a loading dose for a couple of months to just really get them feeling better mm. and then tapering it off to a more manageable, you know, and cost-effective way of doing it day-to-day. -day. And I do like using um, oral magnesium definitely as a starting point and then also adding transdermal, like a high-quality magnesium cream. Mm -hmm. to improve that, you know, transdermal absorption and also just your good old Epsom salt baths um, as often as they can to really just get that magnesium through. And if it's summer, get them to go in the ocean, um, get, you know, <laughs> that extra hit of magnesium, yeah. Which probably has other psychosomatic benefits as well, apart from just the mineral supplementation, but, you know, Absolutely. I think the benefit of a bath and going to the beach. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. Do you find certain forms of magnesium work more effectively in, in your clinical experience than others? 
Yeah, look, I mostly use citrate. Um, I love magnesium citrate. It, it, I just find most people tolerate it really well. It doesn't irritate their gut. Uh, it does what it's supposed to do. And I find, you know, people within hours will report, you know, oh, I took it at lunchtime and I just felt so much more relaxed the whole afternoon and I had a great sleep. So it's pretty much an immediate response that people have. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I'll use a couple of other forms like three and eight, you know, or malate, depending on, you know, if there's a mental health component, orotate, um, you know, but maybe less commonly that that would have to be a really specific um, need for those. And can I ask from a duration point of view, you know, I've always found it really important to make sure patients have a clear understanding of, uh, you know, how long it's going to take for them to see improvements, to set up realistic expectations. So what do you tell your patients about, you know, how long treatment's going to take? Yeah, normally I will tell them that it's at least a six-month program with everything that I do. And then at six months, we usually redo the hair analysis. We might Mm -hmm. do some bloods and gut testing. So look, most people that I see are pretty unwell um, and usually like quite complicated with a number of different pathology going on. So, you know, they're kind of expecting to be doing things for a while. Um, I think six months is a minimum, but I honestly believe that, you know, our lifestyle today and our diet um, is we all need magnesium in one way or another in some form pretty much continuously you know Mm. I just I find so many people they lose magnesium through drinking caffeine and alcohol they lose it through stress um they lose it through not taking enough from the diet which is you know mostly green leafy vegetables nobody eats enough of that (laughs) um so, you know, children are extremely magnesium deficient um, and I just find it's such an important nutrient that most people kind of end up taking it on and off ongoing. Yeah. Okay. I mean, in relation to children, do you give magnesium citrate to your younger patients as well? Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Uh, pretty much I actually give them the magnesium before I even see any of the test results <laughs> Yeah, uh, because, you know, just something to help them straight away whilst they wait for results um, because, you know, most of the kids I see are um, very anxious they're very hyperactive. Um, their moods are all over the place, you know, because they're eating way too much sugar and too many carbs. So there's all those things already signal that they have a high need for magnesium. Um, I've probably seen maybe one or two children the whole time that actually eat green vegetables as part of their, <laughs> like, you know, diet. Uh, it's pretty uncommon. Um, so, you know, they, they scream magnesium deficiency kind of the moment they walk through the door. Um, and they do love it. You know, they will say, like the slightly older kids will come in and say, oh, actually, I feel really calm. You know, I feel not as tense in my body. They will actually say that. So it definitely, you know, it works really quickly for them. Yeah, and children, you know, if, if, you, if they're self-aware enough, you'll often get a really good quick response with them, I find, as well, when you, yes. when you give them the right nutrients. Yeah, absolutely. And I find, you know, kids are obviously much easier to fix because there's less complicated, you know, stress, emotional Mm. layers so it's kind of I find with most kids is what you see is what you get and you just do the really simple things that have a much bigger impact you know than they sometimes do on adults so it's yeah it's rewarding addressing the little ones yeah and finally Maria can I just ask are there any dietary and lifestyle recommendations that you find uh really worthwhile and that you make quite commonly with the patients that you see in clinic 
Yeah, well, definitely managing things like simple sugars and carbs um, and, you know, really kind of eliminating them as much as possible from the diet. Uh, you know, the more refined carbs and sugars people have, the more demand for magnesium they have in their system. So uh, it definitely doesn't help achieve um, those outcomes. Um, caffeine definitely is a big one. Caffeine and alcohol, I find, are trying to get as many people off them as much as possible just because they're such a big drain um, on the nervous system and blood sugar management and just you know empty calories and I do spend a lot of time on um, helping people understand their stress triggers and their reactions to stress Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know because I see so many people with insomnia and anxiety and mental health issues you know they don't actually need stimulants um, at all Their, their system is already through the roof, overstimulated. So I just explain to them what those sort of, um, you know, substances like caffeine and alcohol and sugar are doing to their nervous system and how important it is to really try and calm everything down and take those out as much as possible. That's great. And I think that's a lovely note to end on, some really great holistic recommendations there. So thank you so much, Maria, for spending some time with us today and for sharing all that information with us and with our listeners. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. And I also just want to say thank you very much to those of you who tuned in. We hope you found our discussion today interesting and useful. Please join us again next week for another Biopractica Professional Podcast episode. To continue the conversation or find out more about our products and educational resources, please head to biopractica.com.au. Biopractica, empowering healthcare professionals.